No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. We're going to talk some NFL with our own Mike Tannenbaum, a longtime NFL executive, one of our NFL insiders. Mike, thank you for joining us here on The Sporting Life. Hey, great to be with you, Jeremy. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And and it's always a pleasure having you on the show. You have such keen insights into what's going on. So I'm going to lay it all out there. Uh, is Tom Brady ever going to play for the Patriots again? I believe so. I think when the rubber beats the road, Jeremy, I think he stays there. They have a good offensive line, especially if... David Andrews, their talented center, comes back. They could franchise their guard, Joe Tooney. So when it's all said and done, I would think that he'll be back. I know others see it uh, differently, but um, we will find out soon enough. If it's not New England for Brady, and there have been so many other destinations that have been thrown into the conversation, how do you handicap it? If it's not New England. You know, I, I say on paper, Tennessee makes a ton of sense because of Mike Rabel, their head coach. He was a defensive coordinator in New England. John Robinson knows him from his days in the New England front office. I think one team that's under the radar that makes a ton of sense to me is Tampa Bay because last year they were eighth overall in defense, a uh, tenth overall in defense in their last eight games. They got two really good receivers in Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. They got a couple good tight ends in OJ Howard and Cameron Bretts. So I think, uh, Tampa Bay could make a lot of sense as well. And what does that mean exactly uh, in terms of the future of Jameis Winston? Yeah, that's a big variable heading into free agency. There's so many things to like about Jameis. Obviously, the 30 touchdown passes, but um, I was raised in this business that oftentimes your opponent's going to lose the game before you ever have to win it, and obviously the 30 interceptions, seven pick sixes. If they just had a B quarterback last year with that underrated defense, they would have competed for a playoff position. We're speaking to Mike Tannenbaum, the former NFL executive who is now an ESPN NFL insider. And that raises the question, the Jameis Winston situation. He's not the only one out there. At what point, as an executive uh, for a front office and a coaching staff, when when do they have to make the decision uh, in terms of the development of somebody you've invested in, you used a high draft pick on at the quarterback position where you're going to – you're all in, or it's time to uh, to move on. How, how do you? How hard is it to make that decision, Mike? Jeremy, that's one of the hardest decisions to make. When when do you give up on the young, hopeful, ascending player? And in particular, when you look at the quarterback position, Rich Gann invented Testaverde. You know, to a certain extent, you can make the argument for uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Sometimes it just takes a while, and he has progenist talent. So I think it's a painful, difficult decision. But I think. You go back to his days at Florida State, he has turned the ball over a lot. And um, if I was Tampa Bay, given how well they played defensively, I would make a change. At this point in the year, and we're talking in the first week of March, the combine is over, the draft is still, what, like six weeks away, something like that. What does it look like in an NFL front office uh, at this point on the calendar? By far the best time of year. This is when you're putting <laughs> your strategy together and you're juxtaposing free agency and the draft. And what I mean by that. When you look at the middle class of the veteran wide receiver market, and just to pick a name, Robbie Anderson, in my opinion, he lost a ton of money based on the depth of the draft at that position. Because if you need a representative wide receiver, you can certainly get one in the third or fourth round this year's draft, not pay a Robbie Anderson type. 
and then go spending your money someplace else. This is a year in which there is, it seems beyond a consensus, it's unanimity that Joe Burrow should be the number one pick. How do you feel about that conventional wisdom and the fact that it's entirely unopposed? Well, there's two concerns you would have. One is Urban Meyer knows a lot about quarterback play, and Joe Burrow started his career at Ohio State, Jeremy, and transferred because he couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins. Um, that That's a little bit of a concern. Dwayne Haskins is certainly a, a good player. I certainly wouldn't put him in the elite category. And then secondly, he had one year of fantastic production, and my and, and I would take Joe Burrow just to be clear, but if Justin Herbert was playing quarterback at LSU behind that line and those weapons, not so sure how much different the result would have been. So where is Herbert's stock right now? It's extremely high with me because of his character, his production, his prototypical size. If you look at how the season ended in particular, Pac-12 championship game against Utah, Rose Bowl against Wisconsin, MVP of the Senior Bowl, threw the ball very well last week in Indy, so... I think he's competitive. I think he's answered the bell uh, every step of the way. And um, I don't know what he's miss- missing. Someone's going to have to show me why he should be a top five pick. We're speaking again with Mike Tannenbaum. And Mike, um, the combine, as I said, is over. Who who gained the most at the combine? Whose stock went up the most uh, after that experience? I would say maybe, uh, and it was probably already high candidly, but maybe uh, Makai Becton. The 364 pound offensive lineman from Louisville who ran a 5-1. That's faster than Jimmy Garoppolo at 364 pounds. It's crazy. I mean, that, that, like, if you really just think about that, I mean, that's insane. So, um, he was a good player heading into it, but just to see that happen is, is fascinating. I'm curious, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm going to speak to him for, for outside the lines tomorrow in Atlanta, but I'm going to talk to Jalen Hurts, who's had one of the most interesting college careers anyone's ever had, of course, uh, at Alabama and then at Oklahoma and this season runner up for the Heisman Trophy, uh, as a graduate transfer over there, didn't have to sit out. Um, you know, he, he's been a winner, but you know, you mentioned Joe Burrow getting benched for, or, you know, not winning the job against Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Obviously, he lost the job to Tua at Alabama. Uh, apparently, he had a great combine. What are your thoughts about Jalen Hurts? Very intriguing. To me, the axiom, the tape sets the floor and the character sets the ceiling. It really applies to him from a standpoint of he threw the ball better than I thought. He broke a lot of tackles playing quarterback at both Alabama and Oklahoma. I would love to take him in the third or fourth round and see where it could go. You know, there was another player, Josh Dobbs who was drafted in the fourth round by Pittsburgh. He gets traded Jacksonville. Very intriguing player that keeps getting better and better. Josh Dobbs has incredible character. I put it up there with Jalen Hurts, and I think Hurts is really, really intriguing to me. Of course, everything we're talking about, these could all be moot points if things don't go well in terms of labor negotiations at this point or over the next 12 months. And where it stands now as we speak on uh, Wednesday, March 4th, we understand a full vote of the rank and file, the 2,000 players approximately in the NFL PA, is coming soon on the proposal that the owners offered up a couple weeks ago. Where do you see this going? Uh, I hope it gets done. I've negotiated for years, Jeremy. I don't think it's a perfect deal, but there are no perfect deals. And when you look at apples to apples, um, a player that's coming in this year as a rookie from an increase in minimum would earn an additional $495,000. And 60% of the NFL makes the minimum. So 
Um, there's some give and take in there, obviously, with the 17 games. But when you look at the last less padded practices, I think that helps. Obviously, one less preseason game, not overly consequential, but certainly helps. Um, and you look at some of these uh, health sort of proxies that they have in there in terms of additional coverage. They have uh, places where players could get free screening for, I believe, like it's life or at least for 20 years. So there's a lot of subtle things in there. In addition, there'll be a couple of dis, uh, additional roster spots, a couple of additional practice squad players. So again, do I think it's a perfect deal, Jeremy? No, but I think it's it's a it's a pretty good deal for both sides. It's interesting to me, Mike, right? Because you could argue the biggest story in sports in this country over the last 12, 13, 14 years has been the advancement of our knowledge about the effects of brain trauma. And football's been right in the middle of that story. And anecdotally, anyway, at this point, a couple of weeks after the CBA was offered up, this proposal by the owners and the league, uh, it, it, it seems like um, the younger players uh, who aren't superstars, who aren't rich, are going to be willing that's the way, you know, it's been handicapped so far to sign off on that 17th game and the extra playoff games. Now, there's some things on the other side on the health equation. You know, they're going to limit practices, may, maybe take away one of the preseason games, I understand. Does it surprise you? Will it surprise you, Mike, if the players um, agree to more games even set against the backdrop of what we now know about head trauma? And also, I should say, what we don't know. Well, that's a, you know... Very interesting point. I think more than the number of games, Jeremy, it's about how we play in practice. And I think Roger Goodell has been excellent um, as a thought leader in this space in terms of the game is a lot safer, uh, just in terms of where you could hit a player, helmet-to-helmet contact. How we practice is dramatically better. There's a lot less contact overall in practice. So I think if we get away from the actual number of games and really keep focusing on how we play when we do play is more important and I think um, we've gotten to a place where the game's still exciting. It's the best sport in the world. And it's, just, again, I would argue that it's not perfect, but it's dramatically safer than it once was. We're speaking to Mike Tannenbaum, the longtime NFL executive who now works with us at ESPN, about the state of the NFL, the CBA negotiations, uh, and the vote that we were expecting to take place soon from the whole rank and file. And it's different this time around. I heard Dominique Foxworth, who used to be the president of the NFLPA when he was playing, talk about how I think, Ten years ago, the last time the negotiations um, uh, were taking place, that you know th- there was a united front presented by the players, and even if ultimately he didn't agree with something, they decided to vote together to show a united front. This time around, we had the executive committee of the PA voting. I think it was six to five not to pass along uh, the proposal to the rank and file. Then we had uh, the player reps themselves voting in the other direction, 17, 14 to 1. And now we're hearing a split among some of the big stars saying, no, the guys who've made a lot of money already, uh, who would, you know, if there's a work stoppage, would presumably lose a year of salary because they're not going to get back on the back end. And we're hearing the younger players who are paid less, who think maybe they'll be stars in a few years saying, no, I'm, I'm willing to play that extra game. Uh, for a bigger share of the pie. Does the does the division, the lack of United Front this time around, how does that strike you? Uh, I love D. Smith's, uh, what, what he said, which is democracy is messy. Everybody has a point of view. and The executive director of the PA. Yeah, and um, look, 
you have whatever it is, 16, 1700 members, you're not going to make it unanimous on their front. And again, I think there's a lot more good in that deal than bad. And I think they're going to have discussion. And I would challenge a player if they don't like the deal. Okay, no problem. What's your suggestion? You're not just going to walk in, wave a magic wand and tell 32 owners it's 16 games, but we want everything else here. My understanding, and I don't know all the numbers intimately, Jeremy, but I believe there's upwards of a Additional six and a half billion dollars. So the difference between forty-seven percent and forty-eight point five percent of total revenues. Yeah, that those are the numbers we're hearing. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, I, I I've seen some of these high-profile players have a problem with the system. But again, um, what's your idea, and how are you going to be able to implement it? Speaking with Mike Tannenbaum, and, and Mike, in terms of the practicalities for front offices now, as we're in this kind of CBA limbo, where so much could be changing in the near future, possibly, how does that affect the way they're thinking about the draft, about free agents, about transition tags and franchise tags? I mean, can they do anything now? Yeah, right now it's a hurry up and wait. I've talked to a lot of my friends around the league. They're just waiting. You know, there's some teams that have 15, 20 free agents. Nobody knows what the rules are. You don't know if you're writing a contract for a 16-game season or a 17-game season. Um, those are all things that are going to have to be factored into to the you know variables in terms of executing the contract. Once we know what the rules are in terms are, are we in the last year of the collective bargaining agreement, or are we you know in the first year of a new, or this could still be the last year with a new ten year extension tacked on. So. Until we know what the player vote is, there's really not a lot to do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I don't know the calendar intimately the way that you do, but it would seem like there there are you know some uh, very big issues uh, at hand, and until they're resolved, we know what's going to happen in the future. For instance, like you know, it's hard for Tom Brady to make a decision or anyone to make a decision about Tom Brady because of the dominoes of how salary cap works and who else could be signed or franchised, that kind of stuff. Right? It's 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 complicated. That's exactly right. And until we know what the rules are, again, I think we're going to be in a big holding pattern. From your perspective, Mike, having done this uh, for so long and being so closely associated with the league for so long and now covering the league, you know, a few years ago, people talked about NFL fatigue when they added the Thursday game and, you know, ratings, ratings dip there. And it might have been more related to the political uh, situation, people's interest in the presidential election, 2016, all that. We don't know exactly. But there was a feeling like, you know, don't kill the golden goose. Don't give them too much content. But it seems everybody thinks, I mean, I shouldn't say everybody. It seems a lot of people think that 17 is just a no brainer from the owner's perspective and the league's perspective, and more playoff games are a no-brainer. Do you feel the same way? Uh, I think it's what we've seen is it's the one product that has withstood basically the DVR, meaning that a lot of shows can get shifted or they're streamed, be it on Netflix or whatever. Our product's the one product that is ratings have remained incredibly strong and consistent, and because of it, there's such great demand. And we could sit here and talk about it's gambling or fantasy football, the sport itself, whatever the reasons, the numbers objectively will back that up based on any metrics. Therefore, the theory is we have an incredible product. It's been consistent for a long period of time. Why not add to that product incrementally? And with that will flow these incredible numbers that you've already alluded to, Jeremy. And, and then, therefore, the pie will be collectively bigger for everybody. And that's really, at the end of the day, the rationale behind it. Like, we, we've had this incredible run, and everyone has had uh, participated to make it successful, be it the players, the owners, sponsors, 
our broadcast partners here in ESPN, amongst many others. And then, therefore, let's keep growing the pie, which, again, has benefited everybody involved. How do you feel about only one team in each conference getting a bye? I don't like it because if you look at the NFC, um, you could take Philadelphia, San Francisco, Green Bay, maybe the Rams, you could argue, but and say plus or minus 5%, you have three or four teams that are lumped in there together. And the one team that gets the bye, there's two H's that apply at the end of the year, health and home field. And when you're the one team that has the home field advantage and you have the bye to get healthy, I think that's going to give you a disparate sort of uh, advantage over those other teams. So it will make the regular season hugely consequential. Mike, we lean on you for your insights and your knowledge. Thank you so much for providing them again here on The Sporting Life. Thanks, sir. We appreciate it. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.